Joining me today on the show, we have former dancer with the Royal Ballet and Dutch National Ballet and current artistic director of Oakland Ballet, my dance company, Graham Lustig. Graham, thank you for sitting down with me. Welcome. Nice to be chatting with you, Aidan. Definitely. We should start at where we are right now. How are you? How are you holding up? How has life in lockdown been? Well, thanks for asking. Um, I would say it's, uh, it's very mixed, Aidan. The realities as they unfold of the last 11 weeks, and obviously longer, have uh, been an emotional coaster ride. And I just feel, some days I feel positive that we can get through this and we'll come back stronger than ever. And other times I feel incredibly vulnerable, the physical vulnerability that we all share for the COVID, but also those of us who are in the dance arts and how our future is going to unfold and when can we get onto stable ground again and when can we be safe and be in class together in rehearsal and perform for our public and take up our programs into the schools again. I mean, they're just so, at this moment in time, there are so many unanswered questions. And the one thing I do want to say that is giving me a little bit of uh, sucker is the fact that Europe is ahead of us in terms of their timeline. So monitoring what's happening at the Dresden Ballet, what's happening in other German companies with the Dutch National Ballet, with the Prague Ballet, with the Royal Ballet, what they're trying to do to get back safely into class, into the studio, obviously, you know, eventually into rehearsals and finally into performances. So I'm monitoring closely what's going on and how we can learn from their best practice and then hopefully know how to improve that and bring that safely back to our companies here in America. That definitely is inspiring to see. And I've seen a little bit Dutch National Ballet is starting to do partial classes with pianist behind a screen and eight dancers throughout their studios. But yeah, I would say it also gives me a little solace that the Bay Area was so early. I mean, we were the first in the country, really, to shut everything down and Hopefully that leads to us being ahead of the curve in America, at least. I feel very blessed to be in California, to have the kind of leadership that we have in Governor Newsom. And his briefings have been, I found, very inspiring. Gives me a sense that we are being well cared for and with a lot of scientific data and information directing the decisions Definitely. So obviously, you and I know this story, but could you talk everyone through the process of Oakland Ballet and its season being canceled? How did how did things unravel? Well, truthfully, we all knew that this disease was taking place in Wuhan, but we've been through swine flu and SARS, which were able to be controlled in some regard at the time. And so when things started sort of percolating in December and we were doing our nutcracker season, we knew it was there, but we didn't know how quickly it would be here and then what kind of the effects. So we had our last performance, a collaboration with Oakland Symphony on February the 22nd. And we're looking forward to coming back a couple of weeks later to prepare for our spring season, which would actually have been completing today. Today would have been our last performance of the 
1920 season. Those two programmes that we would be presenting at this time were Dancing Through the Ceiling, a programme that honours women choreographers, women composers, women lighting designers, women costume designers. Also, Oakland-esque, a programme that would honour Oakland-based artists, musicians, composers, singers, choreographers, dancers. That's how we were concluding our season. And clearly, with the riots that have been taking place this Friday and Saturday, we wouldn't have even, we could have had an eight-week eight rehearsal period and we wouldn't have been able to perform because... Oh, wow, I didn't even think about that. Because yeah. clearly all the theatres would have been closed down in downtown Oakland this weekend. So it's a, it, these are all very strange, abstract thoughts about, you know, the future of the organisation. But we, were, of course, were listening for guidance and... You know, as soon as the instruction came, then we were following those instructions and decisions which seemed almost slow motion in coming to realization suddenly fell down like a pack of cards. So, yeah, I saw a lot of organizations that were beginning fundraising campaigns to save their organizations. And I, of course, commend them and support them in that. But I also felt rather acutely that we just canceled our season and our dancers were out of work just abruptly. So I began a GoFundMe, which is exclusively, it's a dancer's relief fund. I will say I'm personally very grateful that the relief fund that you set up was dancer-centric, but I am curious as to the full consequences as an organization of canceling a season. Were there deposits on venues that were lost? Was payment for rehearsal spaces lost? What was the fallout from abruptly stopping your plans? Well, I have to say, Aidan, that one of the most heartwarming things about this period is the generosity that I have experienced firsthand towards the Oakland Valley, and I'm sure is happening to loads and loads of other arts organizations. When a venue says, it's okay, we're giving you your deposit back. Or when a funder says, yes, we, un we gave you underwriting for that season of performances, and you couldn't do those performances, but keep the funding anyway. We know you need the money. You couldn't do the program, but we understand. The uh, Walter and Elise Haas Foundation gave us money to conduct our education programs in the schools. One of the great blessings was we were able to take that online. So our You Can Dance program went uh, from being personally in the schools to an online program. Now, something that was a little too sad to me was the fact that out of 50 students, you found 17 of them only being able to participate for a variety of reasons, but some of them didn't have the hardware, the, uh, an iPad or network connection in order to be able to take class. So we were able to complete the class for several students, for a portion of them, and they were able to graduate. And again, the Haas Foundation said, we understand we, you can't complete everything. Please keep the funding that we promised to you. So there, you know, some organizations have been very generous. We would have had a box office of clearly that all of those ticket sales are gone. We would have had a gala on the 16th of May. And so I have personally have felt a great need to have my soul, a hug put around my soul, around my feelings about the arts and, and how important we all are to each other. So I took our, the, the idea of our gala, which is usually a fundraiser. We would raise 
at least seventy to $75,000 from that event, which is a very important part of our annual budget. I took that online to what I called a stay-at-home soiree, and I called it a fundraiser. No D in that word, just F-U-N. I wanted people to feel close to the art, close to the artists, close to the mission of the company and what the arts represent for all of us and just wanted to touch on those elements. And as you know, dancers participated in a really, I don't know, a very fun kind of way with some people dancing at home with their husbands. We started with uh, the Macarena. We finished with the Hokey Pokey. I was not trying to be highfalutin here, but I was lucky to get some really great speakers in Robert Lynch from Americans for the Arts in Washington, D.C. Mayor Libby Schaff spoke and the former mayor of Emeryville, John Bouters, spoke as well. Plus students, teaching artist Samantha Bell was able to show a little bit of a, of a video of her teaching the You Can Dance in the schools and the children participating. So it was just a moment just to feel connected again to the lifeblood of what we do, our programs, our artists, and the delivery of, of art into the community. Yeah. Could you speak about how transferring it to an online soiree as compared to a normal gala changed your planning and what the experience of working with technology for all of these aspects looked like in practice? Well, (laughs) I was kind of treading water there for a while, just trying to find my way around, you know, completely inexperienced at doing anything. But I, I had a strong idea of the program. I know that there's a lot of Zoom fatigue out there. I myself have that sometimes too. And so I wanted to keep it, first of all, to just one hour. And every five minutes I had a new speaker, a new event, a new... So I wanted just to keep it bright and cheery. I was very lucky because Bat Abbott, our ballet master, and Nathan Williams, the chair of our board, were my tech jockeys. So they were the ones I could be the sort of the presenter of the program. And I didn't have to worry about who was muted, who was unmuted, who was in the way, who was getting spotlighted. The flow of it was greatly assisted by having two helpers there. And I would recommend anybody who's considering doing something like this to, first of all, keep it brief and certainly have at least one person next to you so that you can concentrate on being the presenter or the host of the of the, of the the program. People responded, people enjoyed it. I got a lot of positive feedback. Two very generous people virtually underwrote tables at $2,500 each. And someone made a $2,000 donation afterwards. So although it was a fundraiser, people still felt they wanted to contribute, which was kind and generous. Yeah, that's wonderful to hear. And I can personally attest that I think it was run very well and certainly was not what I was expecting when I signed on. I could feel the community even though we were all separated. And that's not something I've been able to feel much when it comes to these online conversations. So that was a lovely special event, but what has the day-to-day of your personal life, but also running the daily operations of Oakland Ballet, how has that looked? The end of February, our operations manager left the organization. And just at the beginning of March, we were retooling the job description and just getting everything ready to put that out there to begin interviews. And of course, then the shelter in place began. So as an organization, we've just put that position on hold. And that means that I have been doing a lot of the administration with the help and support of the Ballymaster, Bat Abbott. So we've been basically running the whole operation. So 
when it comes to applying for PPP money, uh, together with uh, Liz Marama, who's the treasurer of the board and has a finger on the pulse of our finances, uh, we've been able to partner with Liz and we've been able to apply for the funding as opportunities have arisen. And that has also meant going to a funder who was planning to underwrite a new work for Dancing Through the Ceilings. And I had to say, well, we're not doing Dancing Through the Ceiling right now, but would you be willing to fund a new ballet in the fall for Luna? And they said, well, let us look at the um, program description and the budget. And I was able to present that to them. And they said, okay, we understand you can't hold your spring season. So we now we'll adjudicate it against other applications. And we were successful. So there's been a lot of that to do. We've obviously put our, our education programs online. We took our academy and put that online. I suppose there have been a variety of different new alliances formed with various local arts, Bay Area arts groups in the East Bay. So there have been Zoom calls, committee meetings for the board, board meetings, which have to be organized and run. Basically, administratively, it's been very, very busy. Now, as you know, I'm the artistic director and I have a certain portion of my responsibility, which is definitely administrative. But as somebody who started dancing when they were five years old, you know, and performed till I was 37 years old, being in touch with artists and art, whether I'm creating the dances or someone else is creating the dances, having that everyday contact with it is a sort of lifeblood to my imagination. It feeds my soul in a way that I can't really put into words. And so a few weeks ago, um, you know that we rehearsed at the Alameda Ballet Academy in, in Alameda there. And right at the beginning of the lockdown, um, the artistic director said, oh, well, you know, the studio's closed, but if you ever want to come in, just let me know. So three weeks ago, I was feeling very disassociated from what's essential to me. And so I've started going to the studio and I go there and I do like floor work, Pilates type stretching type strengthening stuff. And I stand up and I do a bar, not for anybody else's consumption. I do center work as well, pushing this old body around the studio and re-experiencing and re-imagining and remembering as well. But also, Aidan, the process of just being in a studio, putting on music in this big, vast open space with bars and mirrors and sunlight pouring in. And just to be in that space heals my soul. It's like, yeah, I've been in studio since I was five years old. And this is my spot. This is the place where I can be. And I play music and I let ideas come and go and just have, step into the creative zone, I suppose. And that has been incredibly healing in a very fundamental way. So, you know, it's good to do administration. It's great to have success and there's satisfaction in organizing and basically, you know, staying the, the deeper commitment to keeping the organization rolling forwards. But at the same time, you know, for personal nurturing, you know, it's good to step out and be in a space where the imagination can soar and the body can move. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And just hearing you talk about the experience makes me smile and makes me go, oh, man, I wish I could get that. I would bike across the Bay Bridge <laughs> to get to Alameda to do that. It can be arranged. <laughs> Good to know. But you talking about the balance of artistic and administrative work reminds me of yes. a conversation we had before where you said to me, very frankly, no one ever teaches you how to be an artistic director. There's no school for this. And it's true. especially no one teaches you how to be an artistic director when your company can't produce work. And so I'm, I wonder if you have yes. a 
flash in the pan artistic director crash course <laughs> or any words of wisdom for people who are looking at arts administration in this moment, but in every moment. Do you have any guidance for them? Well, I can hardly say that I have wisdom. I have working experience. And also, you know, as I mentioned, you know, there have been a variety of different alliances formed here in the last few months. So I am greatly supported by the conversations I've been having with folks from Cal Performances, from Oakland Museum of California, the Oakland Symphony, the Oakland Zoo, and so forth. So there's sort of there's one sort of consortium of arts leaders and administrative leaders who are in communication with each other, sharing resources, sharing new ideas. So I feel that that's really helpful. And in terms of you know a dance organization, again, I'm looking online, I'm seeing what other people are doing, learning from from their leadership as well. One thing I'll share with you, you know, and this is pretty a pretty obvious thing. I started dancing, as I said, when I was just five years old. And as a kid growing up, I spent a heck of a lot of time dancing around at home. Clearly, I had my dance classes, but that wasn't enough. So, you know, you find yourself dancing in the sitting room when everybody's not there or in the kitchen or even in your bedroom if you don't have much, you know, don't have anywhere else to go. So, Sometimes when I'm working out a choreographic idea, I will fiddle around in the house here, especially in the kitchen, or prep my bar before I come in and teach in the kitchen. So seeing this multitude of dancers trapped at home in quarantine in various countries all over the world, dancing in their kitchens, in their sitting rooms, pushing back the furniture to make a little bit more space, it's both heartwarming and incredibly sad to see these creatures who are used to eating space and you know holding this three-dimensional world around them you know and they're trapped by these walls and so that has in a way inspired people to make pieces in which the walls are featured choreography one dances on one side of the wall and they do a split frame and there's a dancer on the other side of the wall and that choreographic phase and moves from one body to the other body. And then I saw one where they were throwing a shoe. They threw the shoe up and down and sideways, and it was caught by someone else who then did a dance phrase. So they're finding ways of expressing themselves online, which I think is really helps you to believe that there's going to be a future and the important, it shares the importance of, of the power of the body and how it's able to communicate. The Dying Swan, performed by 17 different ballerinas all over the world, played beautifully and so amazing to see these artists, you know, with a six foot square of Marley in their sitting room dying as a swan. You know, it, it, it speaks a lot to see these things. And so I, I know I'm sort of rambling a little bit here because I'm not really, no, I'm not knuckling down in, ans in answering, you know, the question of what, what to advise other artistic directors, but clearly communication with each other, staying in touch with each other um, is, is, is going to be vital to our um, future and how we rebuild. We want it to be safe for our artists, for our staff, for our production crew, for our audiences, for our students. So it's just a matter of gradually unpacking the science and the realities of what we can and cannot do and then working within those confines. We always work within some kind of confinement. The number of weeks of rehearsal, the size of the stage, the size of the theatre, how long the performance, etc. So we're just trying to understand what these new 
parameters are and how we might be able to express ourselves within those. I do have some ideas, creative ideas, percolating along. So I, I, that really helps me to administer because then I think that there's going to be an opportunity to create as well. Yeah. It's very heartening to hear that you are still actively choreographing and not giving into the administrative side of it that you still have this i love the idea of you in your kitchen working out choreographic phrases that makes me smile looking towards the future though could you speak to how you're trying to keep oakland ballet creating and performing and how the alliances that you've been mentioning could play a role in that Uh, today i can't tell you when we would be able to bring dancers back together And if we can't bring dancers back together, then we're not performing for our public in a public forum. Sure. But maybe we're doing something else. We could develop a series of solos. They could be placed in open-air situations. The dancers don't have to meet each other apart from, you know, in, Mm -hmm. in a large space. So you could have, you know, there are a series of things. You could work with a solo musician and keep the right distance, social distance from them. So there, there are projects like that. And so I have been looking into venues, conventional open-air venues, but perhaps ones that are less unconventional. I was inspired by a hip-hop group in LA who staged a performance in a car park. People paid per car to come in for the performance, and they drove and were placed in a very large semicircle. And then when the performance began, this is the really cool thing, Aiden, they were asked to turn on their headlamps. And that's where the dance perform was performed. So that is genius to me. I it's and 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 a family can come and stay in there. They were asked to keep their windows closed, you know. But that is in, uh, an intriguing thought. If we could find the right space, you know, and uh, and have the material. I'm not quite sure how they did it with their dance troupe, honestly. I haven't seen the video, so I don't know how they were able to make that work with their dancers working together safely. Now, Dutch National, we mentioned, you know, they're planning to start performances in September. I have been in discussion with the beautifully restored and recently reopened Presidio Theatre. Have you been down there? I have not. I've seen the outside of it, but I haven't gotten into the actual space. You are familiar with the area, though. I am, yes. So I have been, and actually still am, ridiculously excited about presenting our Luna Mexicana performance there. That was something that I was planning with them through the spring. Of course, its plans are now somewhat on hold while we wait to find out what can be done. But the conversation, I got an enormous kick two weeks ago when they called me and said, well, if we can't perform indoors, would you be willing to perform outdoors in the parade ground next to the theatre? And I said, are you kidding me? The whole idea of being able to present programmes for the dance programmes for the community is so inspiring. You know, it, I, I, was, I was walking on you know, cloud nine for a few days there, just the thought, the idea of getting program 
moving again, Aiden, is just so amazing. That I can I can tell you now that that is not a hundred percent happening, not at all. But it's it's something that's being discussed, that's being considered, that's being evaluated, and just the fact that there's a chink in the door, the door's just a, open just a crack, you know, and there's some light on the other side of it, that I'm going to try and get towards that light and open that door as much as I can, you know, and uh, check it out, that venue, they did an exquisite job, it was uh, in the 1930s, it was built as a movie house, so it only had a very shallow proscenium, and in the rebuild, they moved the proscenium arch about an extra 15 feet forwards, so they've made a very nice sort of 40 by 30-foot stage with a beautifully raked auditorium of 600 seats, beautiful lobby space, and um, super excited to be able to be in conversation with them about the possibility of the Oakland Ballet using that as its San Francisco venue. That sounds incredible, and like you're saying... And it would... It would really help your commute, I think. It would it? very much help my commute. <laughs> but I understand you might be living kind of close by. Could you walk? Could you walk to work? Maybe. 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 But you know, I, I would be using the legs for so much. I'll just I'll take a rest. Take the oh, rest. Uh, okay. Free bus there. Okay. All right. um, okay. But I mean, as you're saying, even the idea of a possibility is immensely comforting yes just yes because yes so much of the dance world has been stuck in yes. we just need to wait this out but yes you know a big part of why i'm trying to do this show is to encourage people who i think may have even a piece of the answer to mm-hmm. name that and start moving the conversation of how we proceed mm-hmm. forward right yes so one big thing that i have been thinking about is this question of profit models. Dance and a lot of artistic professions rely on a sort of patronage-based system to present work and keep it financially viable. Do you think that this crisis is going to raise a question of whether that's viable moving forward? Or do you think that those same patrons will be the ones who underwrite the continuity of the industry? I don't think the pandemic has raised the question. I think the question was all already there. When you're in an orchestra, you are sent your part and you practice your part and prepare. And then you come together and you have three rehearsals and you present the piece as, the or- as part of the orchestra. So the preparation is something that can be done by the musician at home in greater part. And then, of course, the rehearsals begin together. And what's very different for us as dancers is we kind of work together. We work collaboratively. We work over many, many hours, days, and eventually weeks to create product or rehearse existing product and present that product. So there is an inherent amount of cost involved with presenting that kind of work. If we wanted to continue, I can't see how the costs could be, those kinds of costs can be eradicated. Theatres, different theatres have different costs affiliated to them. The Oakland Ballet has been performing at the Paramount Theatre for half a century. It's a 3,000 3, seat opera house in downtown Oakland with obviously a variety of different costs affiliated. Were we to try to present Nutcracker there, 
but only have 500 people sitting in the theatre, we would need significant underwriting to make that a viable proposition. So, you know, you asked me, you know, will those supporters, uh, will they continue to... uh, Who knows? I think that a lot of funding institutions have been very hard hit by the economical, the change in the economy, and that their corpuses or their corpi, I think is the word, you know, have been greatly reduced. So we again face a lot of uncertainties to see, well, who is going to be able to underwrite us if underwriting might even be feasible. So yeah, there there are a ton of questions. And of course, I dance in Europe, you said at the beginning, there's a very different funding model. I don't remember the amount of money, but Germany announced an absolute enormous amount of euros to, that it was reinvesting in, the, in its arts following the pandemic. So we're on a very different model here in America. And I know that a lot of institutions are facing great hardship. What, how that's going to unfold, unfurl, Aidan, you know, we can't really predict. I think that we've got to keep advocating for the arts at a local level which we're also doing, and at a national level, remind people of what an economic engine the arts are. Because if you think about collectively all the different performing arts venues in Oakland, the numbers of people, the hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of people who come to Oakland on on an annual basis to take uh, advantage of the various types of theatres, and performances that we have. And then, of course, all of these institutions, like the ballet, like the museum, like the symphony, have incredible programs into the Oakland school districts, where where they're in 20 different schools. And those students would not, if the symphony didn't exist, or the museum, or the ballet, were no longer able to be in existence, then those students would be missing out enormously in arts learning, because oftentimes the arts learn access to arts is something that's significantly under underrepresented. We're all trying to figure it out. We are definitely all trying to figure it out. How do you see dance's role as in helping to get through this crisis or to heal from this crisis? Well, I don't know whether presenting Nutcracker, if I take a very sort of like mundane example, is going to actually heal everybody. But for young, for families who have a tradition of going to the theatre at Christmas time and seeing a story ballet, or for a young person who's being introduced to ballet, Nutcracker is not everybody, but for many people, it's their first thing that they see. And then they might branch and grow from there into other types of dance. So I don't know, I can't tell you whether Nutcracker, the presentation of a Nutcracker, any Nutcracker anywhere in the world, is going to actually bring healing to where we are going to move us forwards. But there is something um, extremely gratifying and um, sort of life-affirming about certain traditions that come back annually, um, or you know, something that you can access there. I think that there's a lot of value in what dance can present especially new dance. Dance has vulnerability. It is imbued with incredible humanity. And I always say, you know, just everybody in their life has danced. No one has not danced. 
you know, you might not have picked up a, a cello, you might not have played an instrument, uh, but most people have painted at some point in their lives. Most people have danced at some point in their lives. So we all carry a little bit of that understanding within us. And so I think that that can speak to people in a variety of different ways. What kind of works are going to come out of this is, is, is really exciting, is really interesting. Um, it might redefine us in some part. I think a lot of people are talking about the fact that digital content is going to change forever, just in the same way that a lot of people have, a lot of companies have reassessed and reevaluated how their employees might work. And working remotely is feasible. I'm not suggesting that teaching remotely is going to be the way of the future, but submit perhaps certain coursework at a university level might be able to be put online more than it was before. I do think teaching dance over the internet is somewhat challenging, depending on the what you're teaching and the age of the student. If someone already has a good comprehension, uh, let's say they're a mature ballet student and they're 14, 15, 17, they have a good, a great understanding of the terminology and the goals of what you're trying to do. I do think it's much different with an eight-year-old. So I think there's a limit to what you can actually do in terms of presenting dance program or dance teaching online. It has been one of the big stories in the dance community throughout the past two or three months, this rise in free or donation-based online education. And I certainly agree with your position that for a young dance student, it doesn't do you much good to tune in to turn out with Tyler Peck and try and follow along. But I am excited about all of the possibilities that online dance has. And I think this has shown that it's much much more ready to be presented online than perhaps people thought. But as you're saying, there is that essential element of being with people that is missing fundamentally. Mm -hmm. The other thing that, of course, has happened, Aidan, in the last couple of months is uh, so many institutions, but primarily some of the largest ones, whether that be San Francisco Ballet, um, New York City Ballet, the Royal Ballet, a lot of other companies, I mean, I don't mean just the big opera houses, but all sorts of companies have been putting their content online. Yes. So in, you know, so we've had this great sort of, as it were, this worldwide festival of arts from the Royal Shakespeare Company to BBC to and all different other types of arts groups. So there's been this plethora of amazing art available to us that has been extraordinary and, 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 and been so important in this period when we have felt so isolated and cut off from from the arts we've been able to access it in 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 another way which is really fantastic especially for the organizations that have had these beautiful and professional recordings made over the years (laughs) i think it's inspiring a whole new wave of dance viewers i was talking to my girlfriend we watched san francisco ballet's romeo and juliet when it was up for a couple Mm -hmm. days and she said to me, I yes. much prefer watching it on TV and laying back in my bed than going to the theater and sitting in the uncomfortable <laughs> seats. Nice. Oh, well, and she's she's a convert for the online experience. She's a first audience member. So how do you see your 
artistic role or responsibility in this moment? Is it just about getting the company through or do you think you're responsible for a broader message about art and its relation to our society? I love the idea of the second part of your question. I don't know whether I've got the bandwidth to get there yet. I feel as if I'm sort of down in the trenches trying to just keep things going administratively and organizationally for this unknown bright future. But yes, there's a, there's a lot that needs to be addressed. There's a great deal. There's going to be a hunger for people to uh, express and touch base with what's going on. That's what the arts, the best of the arts can do for us. And in part, before we got on, I was thinking about, there are different types of museums in the world, art museums, right? There are some that are exclusively devoted to old masters, for instance, and there are some that are incredibly modern. And yet there are yet others who are hybrid. And I think that, you know, as a this type of dance organization is something of a hybrid, insofar as that we would be in a, in a single year, we would present something that you might call a classic, such as a nutcracker, but we would also be presenting work that would be more groundbreaking, more fresh and new and and perspectives that are current and expressions of of artists who are thinkers and intellectuals of today. So I almost feel like we, we have a very broad repertoire to take care of. And I do think that um, there's going to be a need to find ways. So, so some things in art are just there for let's, our entertainments. They're there to take us out of ourselves and to be fun. There are other things that are going to stimulate us intellectually and prod us. And there are pieces that are a hybrid of that too. You know, they're going to entertain and yet give us food for thought. I think there's going to be a great hunger and a great need for that. Clearly, it's going to start with artists working independently because that will be the first way that we can begin to touch base with our arts again. But hopefully in time, there'll be the space and the safety where we can collaborate. I thrive on collaboration. I don't think I've ever made a solo for myself in my life. and I'm not particularly interested in that. But right now, as a person who's you know no longer trying to perform myself, my great joy is bringing artists together and choreographers and allowing that process to ferment, to interact and to find ways that are new within the magnetic field that having artists in a studio, what that resonates, you know, how that, what that grows into and presenting that. I hope, and I'm hungry to get back there when we can, Aidan. Yes, me too. And I'm curious how you think dancers will be shaped by this period of being away from the studio and not having access to their daily rituals, as you describe. Well, yeah, I mean, how dancers will be, uh, they're going to be out of shape at first, I think. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think we're going to be cautious testing the water what is safe what is you know what what is people comfort zone you know how much disinfectant needs to be used can you dance with a mask and you know how can you how can you not breathe the same air as somebody when you're doing a duet you know unless you're wearing one of those 
gas masks, you know, that we've got to find a place where safety and comfort, health concerns need to be able to be put aside. And within that, I think there's going to be an incredible hunger and a need, a deep desire for some, some big expression and human contact, just literally being able to dance together. That's going to be feel very magical, I think. It's been gone for so long. Yes, touching, lifting, Definitely. pulling, sharing weight, sharing gravity. Those are going to be very special things as we regroup. What a statement it will be just to be able to be a foot away from someone or actually touch someone. And we've known mm -hmm. this as dancers, yeah. how physical contact is sometimes rare in our society and how just the act of being comfortable in our bodies in that way is powerful for people but it'll be 10 times more powerful in a world mm -hmm. where no one's had a handshake in three months you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely but i am so glad you're in the trenches fighting oh, for the future of dance in oakland and beyond is there anything you want to say to the world to the dance community to artists of the world before we hop off <laughs> that's such a big <laughs> Big request, but oh, I love big <laughs> questions, Graham. <laughs> well, I think that we've just got to keep believing in the essence that this creative art form is vital. That these, that the incredible range of expressions that we have in dance, from folk dance to Broadway dance to uh, all the different styles of dance that are out there. I think staying true to who we are and staying open to the possibility of change because at the forefront of dance, it, it just keeps morphing and, and, and that's when new things are discovered and new things are expressed. And I think that sense of hmm. the unknown is probably the thing that beckons me the most. Amen. Well, Graham, thank you for sharing this time with me and for coming on the show. It's a great pleasure. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. I have great news. We are now on Apple Podcasts, so please go over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to starving art podcast and uh, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends and let the world know that i am out here doing my thing if you want to keep up with the show uh hear about any new episode releases and get some behind the scenes info about the process of creating the show and hear more about the figures that i talk about you can follow me on instagram at starving art pod Thank you for listening, and I hope that you gather some strength and encouragement from the work that I'm doing. Talk to you soon.